Hello and welcome to part five of the 007 Countdown from Some Like It Sky. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, today by the Countdown crew, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the podcast, we get our lone taste of the brief Timothy Dalton era of James Bond with our review of 1989's License to Kill. But first, how are you guys doing? Pretty good, Scott. Uh, back with glorious purpose. Um, it's true. And it, I mean, no, no sure one else even knows that joke. What, what a summer break we just took from recording this series. This, this will release, what, on normal schedule? But yeah, it's been a minute. It's good to be back in the booth it's been one week the metaphorical booth one week it's been um, one week okay never mind <laughs> i thought it was a bare naked ladies reference but yeah no no i Scott did not get the loki reference but that's okay that is okay how you doing scott shelton i'm good you know back back from our one week hiatus uh as we as we do every week on this podcast uh it's a it's a really great time you know i i think to to shrug off the 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 i guess the joke of it all um it you know it's been it was a tough time in the bond in the first four bond movies so, some of them weren't the best as you'll be more like more recently aware as a listener than us because we've probably forgotten the bond movies that we've watched already at this point um but you haven't hopefully and you know i think that this was the right one to come back on i i i will go ahead and say i'll spoil it i enjoyed this film yeah, I mean, look, I don't think anything we've watched has been outright terrible, at least for me. It's just okay, like... Outright terrible. No, I would disagree with that, but that's okay. Yeah, not no, living that bad. Was was pretty bad. Um, I just think like a little of this goes a long way. And the prospect yeah. of like having, you know, so many more of these to watch is just kind of like fatiguing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the break. Um, but sure, let's let's crank the rest of these out. And um, yeah, I mean, like, look, like I said... I. I think on the whole, I have enjoyed most of these, you know, more than I was expecting, um, with the exception of From Russia With Love, probably. Like, I, I certainly yeah. didn't have a bad time watching Goldfinger or Live and Let Die or The Spy Who Loved Me. Or uh, Yeah, I'm not going to spoil my thoughts about this one. But um, again, nothing we've watched has been terrible. I'll say that. Um, sure. Right. With, with that, uh, as mentioned, our movie today is 1989's License to Kill. License to Kill is Timothy Dalton's second and final outing as James Bond, and it finds our super spy in celebratory mode as the film opens. That's because Bond's close friend, CIA agent Felix Leiter, played by David Hedison, is getting married. But the celebrations are short-lived when drug lord Fran Sanchez, played by Robert Davey, escapes from custody and comes back for revenge on the the men who captured him, Bond and Leiter. When Leiter's new bride, Della, is murdered and Leiter is badly mauled by a shark, Bond vows to get revenge for Sanchez's revenge. But MI6 wants no part of Bond's personal vendetta, and when they soon revoke Bond's license, 007 will have to go rogue and accomplish his plan without help from MI6. Well, everyone but Q, at least. Along the way, Bond teams up with pilot Pam Bouvier, played by Carrie Lowell, and the two quickly become embroiled in a twisted web of drug deals with deadly consequences. Jay, we'll start with you. Is License to Kill a welcome reprieve from the cheekiness of Roger Moore's stint as Bond, or were you waiting for Bond's license to be restored so that he could put you out of your misery? Before I answer that, I actually want to ask a question about why we picked this film. Just because in like reading, again, like I, I read, right, just to get context big, on the film. Jay's a big reader. 
just to try to get context on like the films we're watching and you know like after i like you know submit my review i go looking and apparently like dalton's other film is just apparently like much better um i don't know if you disagree with that or like at least in like the three or four lists and reviews that i looked at yeah, no, that's not – that's actually not the impression that I've gotten at least. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. You may have seen something different for me. But I think both of them are considered pretty similarly from what I can tell. Like I think they're both pretty positively reviewed. I'll admit it was kind of just like a coin toss uh, of which one uh, that we went with. So I just chose License to Kill um, because I think uh, some of the plot stuff is a little more you know, interesting in this one with things like Felix Leiter – um, you know, being badly injured, Bond having to go rogue. I think, you know, it's something different than we've seen, certainly from, uh, you know, the, the movies so far. So if I had to point to one thing that tipped it over the edge, it would be that. I, I'm sure, and I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who prefer the living daylights. Um, but from what I could see, they're both sort of regarded in the same light. But yeah. Interesting. Um, so the reason I ask is I actually really enjoyed this one. Um, and having, having read all that stuff about how living daylights is apparently even so much better. I'm, I'm sitting here, like I'm going to have to go watch it outside of the countdown. Um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed this again. I think coming off a break was nice. Um, so I, I would try to like take that into account, but I actually had like a pretty good time with this one. You know, Timothy Dalton, like just brings like a, a different, like a, a twist to the role. Right. And like this, for reasons I'm sure we'll go into soon, like it's, it's pretty different from all the Bond movies we've watched so far, but like it definitely worked for me. Um, Timothy Dalton in the role again, like also worked for me. Again, I, I saw, I've read at least, you know, the stuff that I saw that he's not very highly regarded uh, as Bond, but like the take worked. I thought the movie was fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, for context, both of the movies have the same average rating on Letterboxd for whatever that's worth. Um, but yeah, um, Scott, your take on License to Kill. Yeah, License to Kill was refreshing after coming off of the Roger, like the two Roger Moore Bond movies. I mean, I think I talked, if I think back to all those all those weeks ago when I was talking about Roger Moore, I think that I said that I found him to not really be that uh, that compelling of a Bond for me. Certainly not compared to Connery, and um, I just felt like it, he wasn't the Bond that would work the best for me. Just how they played the character, how they wrote the character, what they gave him to do, the approach that they took, I think, with the, at least with the two movies that we watched of his. And I think that what I found, I, I felt like pretty quickly in License to Kill is that I felt like Timothy Dalton really did work for me as a Bond. And I think that's because they, they leaned in less to the silliness, as you were sort of alluding to in your leadoff question, Scott. And they leaned more into the fact that you know, this is a serious person to some extent, right? To, like that that only goes so far, I think, when you're in the James Bond universe, at least at this point in the franchise. But the fact that they leaned more that direction, I think, is something that I found pretty refreshing. And once you throw out, I think, some of like the, I don't know, an inevitable silliness of the premise that starts the film off, I found like the opening sequence to be a lot of fun. I found a lot of the action or like the set pieces to be quite a bit of fun. And you know, barring the fact that this movie is like 20 to 30 minutes too long. I enjoyed the ride along the way. I think that's just like the, pro- I, I will say I, I rented this movie on like Friday of last week or something like that. 
And then I saw the runtime after I rented it. I was like, I'm not watching this tonight. This is way too long. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't think I watched it until, I don't know, later in the weekend. I don't really remember exactly when it was that I watched it now. But I was like, man, this movie should not be this long. Um, even before I watched it, and I still yeah. agree with that point after the fact. But I mean, as the movie is sort of going at first, like I thought that it was doing really well. There is like the stuff that at this point I think you're just used to with Bond that I think still doesn't work. Um, it still makes you like your eyes roll completely into the back of your head when you hear the stuff and like the character development around Pam Bovier, I think it's a big part of that. But overall, I think it was a fun movie. I enjoyed the set pieces. There's just some hilarious, I feel like knowing self uh digs i mean and the fact that like wayne newton is in this movie is just hilarious yeah and, just, and here's the funny thing about that right is like you see wayne newton and you're like oh he's gonna have like you know a, just a fun little cameo and you know first third of the movie he shows up with like an hour and 50 minutes deep into the movie and i was like yeah what a weird place to like just insert this yeah he, he had that one scene on the like, tv in yeah. the middle of the movie and then became right. like a not insignificant minor player in like the final act, which I'm mean, funny. It was very funny. And uh, I think they, I think they pegged them spot on probably in this film. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I, I really do picture that he's like that in real life, but what do I know? Anyway, I really enjoyed the movie overall, frankly. Um, you know, I watched, I talked about this, I guess at the time of listening months ago on the black widow podcast, but I saw two spy movies this weekend and this was the better one. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm probably not quite as high on the movie as y'all are. I mean, I personally prefer do prefer the two more films that we watched. Um, I yeah. think I just, you know, gravitate towards that, that feel for Bond a little bit more. I mean, I know like the later more films like Octopussy and View to a Kill are, do go like cross the line in terms of like self-parody. But I didn't uh, I didn't necessarily feel that way about the two that we watched. And you know, I feel the same way about these movies as I do about action movies in general that I just prefer when they're kind of sillier, when they're just trying to have fun, they're over the top a little bit. Um, I think I, I gravitate towards those types of movies um, a lot more. I think action movies need uh, a decent amount of cheese because most of them are based on incredible premises. So like things that can never happen. So you might as well just go all the way with it. But anyway, um, the thing about this movie, though, I do like the movie. And, you know, I was reading, I hadn't actually never seen this one. I've never seen The Living Daylights either. This is one of the few that I haven't seen. Um, and, you know, just reading some stuff before I watched it, like, oh, this is a darker and grittier take on Bond. And I was like, oh, boy, I'm not sure about this. Um, but there actually is quite a bit, uh, I mean, of the, you know, the, sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff still in the movie, yeah, I think. I mean, I think so. <laughs> you think about the way that this opening stunt is is staged where they're, like, hooking up a plane on a hook. They're, like it's, They're fishing yeah. for a plane. Exactly. Um, and then that's how the movie opens. The movie ends with Bond, like, jumping off of a balcony into a swimming pool to, like, yeah. fake us out about what woman he's going to end up with, basically, at the end of the movie. Um yeah. It, it also, you know, in the middle and in between, there's a scene where there's a bar fight going on and a guy takes a sword giant fish. Mar a swordfish off of the wall and starts pushing it. I mean, I loved that. Um, That's hilarious. And that was, you know, 
the first hour of the movie was a lot of fun. I was really enjoying yeah. it. Um, I do think somewhere in the middle, it does get a little long in the teeth. I mean, it should not be two hours and 13 minutes long. Like there, There's like one no. set piece too many. Like you need to just like cut one of the ones at the end. Out. Almost every one of these movies that we've watched so far has been long. And that, yeah. you know, the, the worst part of that is that No Time to Die is like three hours. So it's going to suck. It's like, going to be a beautiful film, Scott. Watch your mouth. Uh, oh, I'm so ready. Uh, Scott, if you like, you know, action franchises with lots of cheese and leaning into the over-the-top, may I introduce you to the Fast franchise? I think Scott Shelton has plenty to say about funny. them, too. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because, yeah, on paper, I feel like it would be something that I like. But, um, yeah. That's not cheese, though. I, I don't think, the, I don't think the, fast, the Fast franchise is like, it's like, it's stick not- is cheese, though. It's not knowing enough for me, I think is the thing. It's not like it doesn't like acknowledge that what it's doing is kind of cheesy. Like, it, I don't know. It just they like get in the most just, recent one, but not well. It's according to it's Scott hard. Thing. It's hard. It's hard to like put pinpoint like where the line is on these things. But like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a self level of self-awareness that I really enjoy that maybe the fast movies don't have. But anyway, I feel like the um, definition of not being self-aware of the fast movies is that like. 10 characters have died and like eight of them have come back to life. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. That stuff's just a little much for me, but I do. I mean, this movie is still a pretty good time. I do think it picks back up in the end yeah. um, with the final set piece. There's some good stunt work there. Um, above average villain, I would say not certainly not the best that we've seen, but um, you know, I don't think he's forgettable or anything. Um, you know, I like that they, you know, he's right there at the very beginning, right? Like, uh, again, like sometimes the the opening scene doesn't really have any connection to the rest of the film, like the opening set piece. Like in, in the last movie, we watched The Spy Who Loved Me. That Well, I guess that's not true. I guess it did because um, what's her name? Uh, the Russian agent's boyfriend or husband or whatever dies in that opening skiing scene. But um, a lot of times it doesn't have any connection. But here, like, you know, they drop you right in. Sanchez is right there from the very beginning. So you get a lot with the character. And I think Robert Davey does a decent job. Um, the other thing that to me about this movie that's just really weak is the Bond girls. And I know it always is, but this just felt like a new low, to be honest, with what we've watched so far. Like Bond is an absolute D-bag to Pam Bouvier for like 95% of the movie. And yet, like, she just can't get enough of him. Like, it... It is. It's a. It's really bad. I She's think. Like, e- even worse than usual. Like I Stop, said. And then the you've other... heard this one before, right? Like a a kick ass like pilot, you know, skilled combatant. Like don't lecture her about professionalism. Who like yeah. ninety seconds later ends up with him. Like where have I seen this before? I, I do the think that the first two that we watched in the series are 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 worse than this one. But I take your point. It's not a good look. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the last two movies we watched, they were at least like. They were not good, but they like in terms of Bond girls, but they were they were trending upwards like triple. Yeah, triple X, I'd say. Yeah, Tri- especially triple X, in triple X was trending upward. Spy yes, Who but, Loved but, Me, but, where you have like a genuine sort of accomplice for Bond um, with Barbara Bach. But anyway, um, we can get to all of those more specific topics. The point is, <laughs> I thought the movie was pretty good, um, probably a little bit lower on it than you guys. Um and but you know it's it's solid like i get why people like it i do think people are starting to come around on timothy yalton to transition us to talk about his performance i guess a little bit more um yeah jay you mentioned that you kind of saw that maybe he wasn't as well considered as james bond and i do think that that's how that's probably true of the era i mean there's a reason right that he was only in 
two films. Um, and I think public opinion probably played a role in that. Um, however, and maybe this is just the circles that I'm in again with people I follow, uh, in the film world, but, um, I have seen a lot of people coming around in recent years on Timothy Dalton, including some people saying that he's their favorite Bond and that they wish he would have gotten more of a chance in the franchise. Um, sounds like maybe uh, you guys are, are both potentially in that camp. Scott, I'll go to you first. Um, what did you think about his performance um, and, you know, compare it to the two other Bonds that we've seen so far with Sean Connery and Roger Moore? Yeah, I mean, like, like I kind of was already saying, I think that as a point of comparison, I think what Timothy Dalton is doing with this character is works better for me than what Roger Moore was doing. I mean, we talk about the tongue and cheek stuff that seemed like sort of the cornerstone of the Roger Moore character, right? I mean, he was older, so I think they did try to lean away from some of the like more heavier duty action related stuff that they might have been doing with Connery. Because he was younger than Moore. I mean, I mean, Moore is still like one of. I'm mean, probably besides Craig, probably the oldest Bond. I'm pretty sure. And Dalton is like 45 in this movie. Like he's pretty old. That's still, fair. Still by Bond that's, standards. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think that they really tried to, I guess, like play to Roger Moore's strengths to an extent, and that and those strengths I think just didn't line up with, I think the things that I find work best for me in the character, and I think Timothy Dalton was able. To sort of lean the opposite direction, I think if you think of Sean Connery as like the, I don't know, true, the true neutral bond of like one, you know, on, on like the spectrum, I feel like Roger Moore leans one way from that, you know, center point, whereas Timothy Dalton leans the other. I think you get less of like the cheesy, jokey bond. You still get a little bit of it, but you get less of that. And this is, I think this is much more in, of the vein of like a hard boiled not noir, but certainly more like actiony type Bond film. Even if the stunts like aren't absurd things, you know this is a, a, a this is a I mean this is a movie where the the premise is that Bond is throwing away his career and setting off on this you know revenge tour, trying to get vengeance. And I think that Timothy Dalton plays that really well. And so I think as a point of comparison, like could Sean Connery have done that? I, I'm sure that he could have. Maybe he even does it in a different Bond movie that we didn't watch. Um, I don't think revenge is like a novel plot premise, but I do think that Timothy Dalton works for me. Like, like I said, I, I think he's able to lean into the more hard, like the harder parts of the role, like the more actiony um, parts of the role, while also keeping some of the levity that I think is required of any movie like this to not, I don't know, be like a Zack Snyder overly serious film. And so Overall, Timothy Dalton works really well for me. It's the right balance. And, you know, if we were watching another Timothy Dalton movie or the other Timothy Dalton movie, I think that I'd feel comfortable making a direct comparison. But I definitely put him and Sean Connery above Roger Moore. I'm not sure quite where I shake out with, you know, Sean Connery and him. Yeah, this is really interesting because I think I'm trying to think if I saw a list of like Bond rankings again, like, you know, just like lightly perusing where he was higher than like sixth. Um, and this is like a, a, a very... Are there even six Bond? <laughs> I guess there are. I think there were like but, eight yeah. total. There's um, eight? If you count if you count like the uh, Casino Royale, like 60s movie that has oh, like multiple okay. people playing okay. Bond, I guess. Yeah, okay. Whatever it was. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, like we're coming in much more positive on him and I, I will too. Um, 
I was reading a little bit too about like why his stint was so short. And I basically, I saw that like, he wasn't like their like top choice and they only brought him in, I think because Sir Roger Moore had like scheduling conflicts at some point. Um, or I don't know if we were already at like coming up on Pierce Brosnan at that point. I'm not entirely sure, but my point is like, he was there. I remember reading that he was like their second choice between like one of the people who was active as bond either before or after him. And yeah, I, I, I guess public reception probably wasn't that good either, but I'm with you, Scott. Like I, you know, what he does like works for me. I don't think it's like, there are definitely moments where like, I kind of forget, you know, quote unquote, that like we're in a bond movie. Um, and that it just feels like just kind of like a dark action movie from, you know, a few decades back. Um, obviously there are some like very bond things about it. Like, you know, the movie, again, you said opens with, you know, them trying to like fish for a plane and then he's like repeatedly kissing his like friend's bride. And I'm like, okay, this is very bond. Um, but then, you know, like the, the revenge tour part of it, like a lot of it, you know, when we're not doing the, we're not just like doing kind of the bond 180, right? Like it just feels like a dark action movie to me. Again, I mentioned, you know, that about like Pam Bouye, for example, where, you know, she's kind of like giving him crap and is all like tough and you're like okay like this could be like a dark action comedy and then 90 sec or dark action movie and then 90 seconds later you know she's like smitten by him and you're like okay wait this is a bond movie like can't forget um yeah and then the same thing happens with lupe later on right like it you know you don't i guess what i'm saying is like you know the the elements of bond are still very much there i think the things that i enjoy about it like although like you know i'm gonna find like the the tongue and cheekiness definitely like the quotable and maybe like the more memorable parts of the movie as time goes on, like the, the general, just like darker, grittier part of it, I think was more enjoyable in the moment for me than just like the, what felt like, you know, the overwhelming tongue and cheekiness of like Sir Roger Moore's take. Um, again, only having seen this one bond film, of, of Timothy Dalton's like, I, I'm not going to sit here and put him up in the same conversation as Sean Connery. Although again, I've only seen two of his, but I, I liked him in that role substantially more. Uh, I do think at this point though, like I, I would be surprised if Timothy Dalton didn't end up ahead of Sir Roger Moore in my final bond rankings. Roger Moore was 59 when the last, when his last bond yeah. came out and was 47 when he started the role. I mean, they they were saying that Daniel Craig was too old when he was like when he like turned like forty and that he needed to like be swapped out for a new actor. I mean, that's like crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was saying in my intro that actually the film wasn't as dark and gritty as like maybe I had thought it was going to be from what I was reading. I think like the grittiest part of the movie is his perform is Dalton's performance, not not necessarily as much the movie as his performance. Like I think he just has an intensity about them that sometimes I think works well again you know when he's trying to sell like the rogue agent revenge tour stuff um you know that that works well um but i don't know there are other times when i just like the intensity just feels not quite right for like i pointed this scene out in my review on my letterbox um that i just found kind of hilarious um that after felix Leiter has been maimed by this shark and Bond, you know, has has, you know, been clued in on what's going on and that Sanchez is responsible or whatever. And he says to Sharky, right, that's the other guy's name, I believe. He's like, time to go shark hunting. And I was like, 
wait a minute, you're going to go after the shark and not the drug dealer who was like the mastermind? Like I was getting big Jaws the Revenge, like this time it's personal vibes from uh, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, let's go after this shark, that, you know, douchebag. Um, that was that was kind of a weird moment. And then we well, get a Scott, whole they, they have to interrogate the shark to make sure it was Sanchez that was responsible. Uh, yeah, I guess so. We get the whole sequence and that ends up with him like putting the guy in like the drawer or whatever, just shuts him in. And there. yeah, like the maggot drawer and then shoving the other guy into the eel tank. Yeah. Amazing. Um, a little so dark. That was, That's cinema. That was kind of fun. Uh, I, but um, yeah, like, oh, go ahead. you know, the, the let's let's go shark hunting or whatever. Like, I feel like Roger Moore would have delivered that with the right tone um, as opposed to, to Timothy Dalton. Uh, so I, I do think there are some shortcomings that he has as bond i mean i think roger moore obviously has shortcomings as bond too like he couldn't do he could not have done the revenge tour stuff i don't think in a convincing way um i mean he's probably in a wheelchair for the action set pieces in his last movie i mean i still think connery i I have the i I have the the scoop now and it was that it was he was the second choice behind pierce brosnan uh if pierce brosnan if they had been willing to wait six weeks for him to finish up a conflict they would have cast Pierce Brosnan in the role. Instead, it went to Dalton, who got a three-film contract, but then the third one was nixed after they had legal issues with him. What was Brosnan doing in 1987? Like An NBC so TV show. Yeah. Wait, he was it what was, was it called? Remington Steel or whatever? Yep. Yeah, that's right. I yeah, that's what that. it was. Uh, he was... Yeah. It had just been canceled. And then when, when Pierce Brosnan was offered the role as Bond, NBC optioned his contract for 60 more days to make a new season. And so then the broccolis withdrew their offer, which is just hilarious. That's top banter. That's top. But that's, yeah, top I, that's like, that's like soccer transfer. That's like when Olivier Giroud or whatever this past week, like he could have left on a free transfer to AC Milan. And then after it came out in the news that he'd agreed personal terms with them, Chelsea like activated a one year extension on his contract and forced them to pay them 2 million. <laughs> it's just banter anyway um <laughs> the I, I think connery is still heads and tails i mean far and away the best bond we've seen so far um i think it just depends on what you want in a vibe and i think connery has the best of everything that's why i say that some people are gonna i mean some people do have more as their favorite bond because they like what he is able to bring and some people do have dalton as their favorite bond because they like what he's able to bring um but I think it's more, you know, they are on different ends of the spectrum. Whereas, again, I think, like Scott pointed out, maybe the, the sh- that Sean Connery is kind of the, the neutral so far, which I appreciate. Um, but, you know, he's, he's good. It, t- Timothy Dalton is good. I, I'm certainly not um, really knocking his performance. I just think there's things about it that don't always click. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, something that I alluded to that I think is uh, an issue here with this movie, and that's, the Bond girls. So we have uh, Carrie Lowell as uh, as Pam Bouvier, and then we have uh, I, I don't remember what the actress' name was um, playing Lupe, who is like sort of the lover of Sanchez. Before, uh, of course, Bond just walks in a room, and that's that. Um, you know how these things go. Uh, but what did you guys think about the portrayal of these two characters, Jay? I mean, it was very on brand. Um, in that we've seen again i already made the pussy galore comparison and then uh you know lupe you know in you gotta stretch it a little bit and obviously make the character less 
memorable, eccentric, whatever you want to call it, but like almost could be like another version of solitaire, right? Like someone who basically like works for the bad guy. Although I don't remember if solitaire was romantically involved. Galore was kind of, was the same. I mean, they're all the same. Yeah. It's a pretty classic trope of bond girls to work for the bad guy. I mean, sure. I, I, Sure. Um, I, I again, they Pussy have Galore to be wooed by like the heartthrob British agent. No, sure, sure. Again, it was just like Pussy Galore and Pam Bouvier to me, like also share, like you know, they're both like pilots and like mm-hmm. you know, come in with this like don't mess with me attitude. Yeah. Um, the others not so much, but yeah, I, I guess Triple you know, X has that attitude. Sure, but she doesn't work for the bad guy. Yes, she does. I mean, the big bad guys of like the of Russia. The Russians are always the bad guys, Jay. Don't you understand <laughs> yeah. geopolitics? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> does our evil mean nothing to you? I don't even know where to go with this. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to remember much about these Bond girls like six months from now. I think it's just yeah. where I'll leave it. Like they weren't, you know, great performances. They weren't like over the top characters. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really not going to have much to say. I think I've already knocked them enough. Look, honestly, I mean, oh, good. I was going to say, at least Pussy Galore had like the whole like, Oh, she's got this like flying school of women or whatever. Like that was kind of a cool con. Like they don't do anything with this character. And and you know, I was saying Bond kind of treats her like he just seems like annoyed by her presence the entire like pretty much the entire movie. Like he's just like trying to get rid of her whenever she shows up. The only the only time he like reacts is is two times. One when he's in the casino and she like of course walks in and is like all or when he's in uh sanchez's office i guess it is and or when he's getting the f- initial credit line i can't i can't yeah. remember when he went to the Sanchez's bank when he went to the bank yeah. yeah uh and she walks in and he there's like the weird like close-up where he's like like oh wow it's it's i never i almost didn't recognize you because now you know you're all elegant and whatnot um and then there's like and but like then the only time when he like really values her being there it's like at the very end when he like needs her pilot skills or whatever he's like oh okay i'm gonna actually get some use out of you now uh i i don't i it just really rubbed me the wrong way like he just again he just seemed like completely put off by her the entire time which makes it ridiculous that at the end right he's like running away and jumping into a pool like to be with her like just just silly uh scott your thoughts though look uh I feel like the thing that just really boggled my mind the most and made me laugh a little bit is there's a scene where Bond says it's a man's world south of the border. And I had to say, I didn't think it was that different north of the border, but yeah, here we are south of the border, I guess. Um, I, you know, I think the best Bond girl in this movie actually is the blinged out iguana that Sanchez has. I mean, that thing, that thing was, was yeah. cool. That's a great. I mean, it's not every day that you see an iguana with like probably a hundreds of thousands of dollar necklace on. I mean, that's that's tight. But <laughs> Talisa Soto, man, I think that I will have forgotten about her before we watch the next Bond movie. I think she's like definitely F tier Bond girl. I think Carrie Lowell is like Carrie Lowell is this character. With like I really wanted to like her. And I think that I did like the character in principle, like the idea of this character was something that I think is the kind of character that works as a Bond girl. But obviously, like the way that they treat her in this movie is just brutal. Like, it's not good. Um, 
I mean, there's just so many things that you could point to that are just terrible uh, about about the way they treat her. And I don't really know if I honestly have anything too nice to say on that front. But yeah, classic. Check your you know check your bingo card. Bond is treats treats woman like crap. Woman falls into his lap, begging for him. So there you go. That's Bond for you, I guess. Yeah, I mean the fact that he's like basically even just like shoehorn shoehorns her into being like his secretary or whatever like oh this is my executive secretary it's like, a man's world south of the border yeah i guess so you know it's, yeah. it's he's playing a part but anyway um as for the villain uh you know we've mentioned him a lot here Fran said sanchez played by robert davy um you know we've seen some pretty iconic villains with uh you know goldfinger um with uh with robert shaw's red um in from russia with love we've seen some maybe a little bit more forgettable um in the more films but uh scott where do you think that uh robert davy as sanchez falls yeah un- unfortunately i don't i don't think of him as an iconic villain but i do really like the villain in this i think that there's there's just something more personal about it right it's not just bond being sent off to like fight this sort of like vague big bad that this particular person is like the representative of out here in this world um but it's hard i guess to say for sure like i think it'll be easier to think retrospectively at the end to see whether i really feel like sanchez is iconic but I don't mean that to mean that he's not memorable as like the quality of the villain at the same time. Um, he does like, he doesn't have any like weird quirks that sets him apart from he anyone. An iguana, I, mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, sorry. The iguana is a strong independent woman who don't need no man. Actually. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't know that it's a female, I guess that's very presumptive of me. Um, but no, I, I think that he, he is a really good villain, but iconic is like not necessarily a word that I would use to describe him. I think that in many ways, like, I mean, I guess Blofeld in some ways is kind of like a very personally relevant villain for Bond. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like we're encountering many people in these movies that like actually have a connection or have done something to get you invested in the outcome of their arc relative to Bond. And I think that that's, I think that's one of the things that just thinking about some of the other Bond movies that I've watched, like the ones that I I feel like I gravitate toward from a story perspective and from a villain perspective are the ones that are able to sort of generate this level of connection to Bond as a person beyond just being a, a big bad of a spy movie with some like generic nuclear bomb or nuclear submarine that we saw in I don't know if it was the last one or a couple movies ago when it was. I guess, that was the, I guess that was the third Connery movie that we watched. I don't remember. Um, or so, I guess we only watched two Connery movies. Didn't I don't really remember. Yeah. It was Roger remember. Moore in the submarine, but sure. Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that the personal stakes in it, right? They, that felt good. That felt different from what we've seen so far. And I think that's what helped the villain out as well. I, I think it helped elevate the villain to have that connection and to get the viewer more invested in bond taking his revenge Scott, you hit it on the head um and that yeah like i 
I honestly couldn't have said it better myself. I'll, I'll try to sum it up somewhat neatly. But yeah, he Sanchez like is just a villain again, like more tied to Bond. Again, you, I feel like you, I'm more invested in this story. The funny thing though is like all the you know for all the crap I've been giving like the tongue and cheekiness or whatever, I do think you know you can't really be an iconic villain if you don't have some like weird shtick to it. You know, I think about like to me like the 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 A standard includes like Goldfinger and odd job you know same movie like big bad and he's like you know weird henchman and like I, i'll never forget you know that and jaws act. jaws is up there too jaws, jaws is up there too i wasn't leaving him out it's just you know those was part of the a standard jaws was the other one but I, i'm focusing on those two just because you know they were even though they were in the same movie like they both were like i don't know eccentric or just odd. weird enough yeah like again that that hat where he throws the hat for the first time and decapitates that like sculpture like i will never not laugh when i think of that cinema um cinema and so you know like was sanchez like a good like action movie villain like absolutely um i just yeah i'm with you in that i don't know if he's going to end up like that high on the list in terms of like icon iconic status he's not goofy Um, enough to scott's to Scott's kind of the Scott's point, he's like, it's not, it's not cheesy well, enough. Yeah, and again, like for all the, you know, for all the crap of giving like the cheesiness of like the more films, like I actually have like liked the villain aspect of this. Yeah, I, I'm not. He's, yeah. He do, he doesn't have that. I, I agree. He doesn't have that. You know, big quirk thing about him. I do like some of his like delivery of the one liners. Like you know, I was talking about how I feel like Dalton struggled with a little bit of them, with with some of them a little bit more. I do like like. In the begin, in the very beginning, when they like find Lupe with the other guy or whatever, and he's like, "What did he promise you? His heart?" And then he goes, "Give her his heart," and like takes out his knife or whatever. I was like, "Okay." Um, and then there's that other part where he's like talking to the president, and he's like, "Remember, you're only president for life." Like he 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 knows how to like pause for like to build up the drama of like you know these kind of corny one liners. Yeah. So I'll give him That's that. True. Um, That's fair. But. But yeah, no, he's an above average villain, like is what I said uh, in the beginning. And I, I yeah. stick by that. I um, I guess I just like didn't even think about Jaws for a second because he doesn't even he's not even a villain in the other movie that he's in, um, which blessedly we did not watch. But um, that, but yeah, which one is, uh, it? is it Moonraker that he's is that Moonraker? He's yeah, it's yeah. it's the, the absolute worst one that I've I've ever seen. But um I, I, yeah, I mean, he's good. He's a good villain. Um, like I said, I think it, it's beneficial that he um, is in the movie from the very beginning um, because, you know, with those other villains like Goldfinger and Ajab, they get introduced like later in the movie. It's like they, they have to sell you on that gimmick because there's just not like enough time to really build up a character. But here it feels like they try to do something uh, approaching character development with him. So, um it's it's a good it's a good character it's a good good foil for bond um okay uh, as far as um the action scenes the bond formula so to speak that we've talked about before you know we have the opening set piece we have the song um and you know we we have some some pretty spectacular stunts and action scenes um what did you guys think about um you know sort of the more traditional bond elements in the movie um 
compared to, you know, again, the traditional Bond elements, the stuff that we always expect to see. Maybe some of it is a little um, less present here because of the setup, because Bond is not, you know, going into the MI6 offices and things like that, um, you know, with uh, flirting with Money Penny, you know, all that kind of stuff that we expect to see. But, you know, Q obviously does show up and Desmond Llewellyn shows up and there is a whole gadgets um, sequence. Um, you know, what did you guys think about um, these more traditional elements, I guess, uh, of the movie, Jay? I mean, I thought they worked. Again, the, the movie opened, you know, on a fun scene and the song again, you know, opening credits was like a good time. And I think uh, Scott Shelton, you were the one that said there I think was one action or one set piece too many. Um, but in a vacuum, like I thought they were all good or like, you know, in individual vacuums and, you know, even mostly all together, right? Like the movie's a little long, but like, the action was good. Again, it was just, it was better. Like, again, like, you know, he wasn't, well, Timothy Dalton was like a little bit old. Like he wasn't as old as Roger Moore. Um, and even if I, I'm not sure I, what the age difference was, I know we talked about it earlier, but like, he didn't, it didn't feel like he was as old or as slow. Like the action like felt better, a little less contrived. Um, and like, you know, it, it, again, it all, a lot of it, you know, mostly felt in the spirit of bond again even though like the what was happening in terms of like plot was a little bit like grittier like the action pieces like uh, you know minus the very end uh which you know, I'll touch on maybe later uh unless let's touch on it now you know again very much felt in the spirit of bond yeah i mean the end of the movie is a fast and furious prequel yeah i i love the uh the when they drive the truck on its side like to like dodge the uh you know missile or torpedo yeah. whatever it is that gets shot at them and they like stinger the truck missile. on its side. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's not that even was, what I'm talking about. That, that was stuff, I'll just yeah. I'll just say it. No, it's it's when he sets the villain on fire. When he sets right, Sanchez yeah. on fire at the end. That was like, oh hang on. Like this isn't some like we're blowing up the villain or they're like dying in an explosion. Like you said, what, what is it? And live and let fire. die when the, the guy gets blown up inside the air compression thing. Yeah. And it was pops. like the worst. It was yeah. like you know, the last $10 they had. Uh, well, know, that happened in this movie too. They, they, they throw, they throw true, yeah. crest into the pressurized the, chamber and sure, they, they, and like, yeah. no, that, they that, blow him up. That just like the blood. Fine. But I mean, you know, I, I, I we, we like seen that it was a little bit like, over the top but like i'm talking about like you know setting a man on fire and watching him like run around a little bit i don't know it was like a little much for like again for you know what i've come to expect at least from bond right but what inspired burning man the the music festival sure i really like the uh the bar fight scene too as well that i mentioned you know the swordfish but also just like uh, also uh, shout out benicio del toro who's yeah (laughs) shows up there as dario but um also, just like the whole way it starts when they're like in the bar, the like dudes come over to the table. This is like right when he meets Pam Bouvier for the first time. Like the waitress is over there, like giving them the drinks and stuff. And like Bond just like beats the guy up. Like he's not enough. Out, yeah. And the waitress <laughs> yeah. is just standing there. It's like, okay. Just like walks off. I was like, I'd be freaking out kind of if that was her. But man, you don't know uh, what goes on in that bar. That, that feels like the kind of bar where that happens pretty regularly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then they just like blow a hole in the wall, and they just like escape through the hole in the wall. It was, it was, yeah. uh, it was high camp, and I appreciated it. But um, yep. any Scott, anything else you want to shout out here? But the traditional Bond stuff. Uh, look, I, I appreciated that it didn't feel like it needed to like fully commit to all of those traditional things. I mean, we're talking about 
like going to MI6 and meeting with Q and flirting with Moneypenny. I think you get flavors of that still reasonably set in the story that fits and that are, you know, cute nods to those sort of recurring themes without having to like bend the movie to the will of the franchise. I don't know if that's the right way to put it or not, but I appreciated that. Um, you know, the fact that we got one, like we got like one flash scene to money penny to, to like nod to the fact that they're like still in communication and there's still a thing between them, which I just find hilarious. Um, Maybe she's like the worst character at all. Like she knows like the awful things that Bond does to women regularly. Like the rest of them don't even know. I don't know. Money well, Penny is the real the thing criminal. About money, I think the thing about Money Penny is that they never actually like go all the way or anything. Like I think she just kind of like enjoys the flirting part of it, but like would never actually do anything with him because of that, which maybe makes her one of the better female characters. But I don't know. That's maybe that's just my uh, perspective. But you don't know um, what they do. You don't know what they do yeah. on camera. Uh, it's it's true. I don't know um, what Lois Maxwell does with Sean Connery. But um, yeah, uh, as far as the plot goes, you know, our question, I think, always with the plots in these movies are, are is, does it make sense? Um, here, it probably makes sense. I don't know that I cared a whole lot about the plot. Um, I think the context of the plot is like really weird. I mean, they're like melting cocaine yeah. down into like petrol and selling it. And, like that doesn't make too much sense. They don't explain either. Like, I love that. Like, he's like giving the people the tour of the factory or whatever. And somebody's like, well, how do you get it back? Right. Because they like melt it. And he's just like, I don't, we don't reveal our secrets or whatever. And they just never explain it. Like, they never explain like how they like yeah. get the cocaine back, I guess. You know, they just, it, yeah. it's just like one of those things. But no, you, you uh, drink the petrol. The one part I kind of liked was the whole part with like the, the Hong Kong assassins that like show up, um, where like, uh you know like bond is actually kind of screwing things up right when he like is going after sanchez and they're like no like they, like they stop him and they're like look we've been like undercover basically for several years like and we finally got you know we're getting into his lab finally like you better not screw this up for us. I kind of liked that. Like and they died you know, five seconds later. So <laughs> they did. That was what I was going to say is they don't end up doing anything with it. But I like that bond gets like humbled a little bit by like, Oh, here's like the real spies have been out here in the field, like doing like, <laughs> you know, playing the long game and bond just like gallivants in here, like, you know, yeah. betting women and like, just tries to brute force his way to the villain and just, you know, shoot look, him if, in the if, head they, if they hadn't messed it up, he would have shot him in the head right there. So who really was the one making the mistake? Yeah, I, I don't know. But I guess I liked the concept of it. The execution was was yeah. not good. Um, anything else you guys want to say about the plot? I, I think that I've, I've thought a little bit more about it. And I think I've pinpointed. I think that maybe it's not that there's like one too many set pieces. I just think that like the filler time between them stretches out too long. Like it feels like there's like a lot of time between like Felix getting like half of his appendages ripped off. And like then like him actually taking down Crest or I guess not even really taking him down. Right. But like there's just like too much going on there. And then like later on in the movie, there's just like a lot of back and forth between Sanchez's island and the mainland back to the island. I don't understand why there was like so much back and forth there. Um, but I did like the fact that they board the ship 
press it all the way into like high gear and like wreck the like the wave crest into the into the dock. I thought that was very funny. Um, yeah, and Sanchez just like stands there watching the whole thing. Like it's clear that like the the boat is like just speeding up there and then like yeah. is about hmm. to have an accident, and he's just like chilling. Like it's kind of funny. It's just another dock. It's just money. Uh, speaking of money, can we talk for just like one second before we, uh, you know, move into wrap up here yes. about how much money gets like just evaporated in this movie? Like yeah. there's like multiple scenes it's where, like the Dark Knight over here. Yeah. Like uh, when when Everett McGill's character gets killed, Ed, like he like, you know, basically sold out Felix for how much was it like two million or something or was it less than that? I don't remember, but he has all the money in a briefcase and bond just like basically throws it to him. Like get, gives him the money or sh- maybe it's sharky that throws it to him. It's one of them um, that like throws him the briefcase, like as he's going to die and like the money comes spewing out or whatever. Then there's the scene in the helicopter where like all the money is just like blowing around. Like we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that just gets lost. And, and then all of the know, drugs that were that. destroyed in the cartel operations. I mean, was it well, like I'm seven- pretty sure they were already destroying the drugs themselves by just like melting them down, <laughs> turning yeah, them into freaking fuel or whatever. Anthony Stark's character is like, but there's seventy million dollars of cocaine. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything you guys want to add before we move into wrap up? Hype shit. Let's bring it home. All right. Uh, favorite scene or moment from License to Kill, Jay. Um, you know, this is going to sound weird because I haven't brought it up, but I think my favorite line of the movie um, is when Bond essentially is quitting, right? And M yells at him, we're not a country club, like when he tells him. Yeah. I don't know. Well, on I, the contrary, I think you quite indeed are a country club. I mean, it certainly feels that way, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of love for the opening scene, but I think I might just hold on to that line for like a while. Like, we're not a country club. I'm going to find a way to shoehorn that into regular life that checks out scott yeah for me i i kind of spoiled i think my favorite scene already and it's actually one of the first the first scene where we see wayne newton and that's when he's doing this like donation drive for his meditation school that's like secretly him selling drugs for the cartel and the reason that it's my favorite scene is that a just hilarious self-parody for wayne newton but b it is the blinged out iguana because Sanchez is in his, I don't even know what the name, I don't remember the name of the city that this is based in. Isthmus, Isthmus, Isthmus city, right? Yeah. yeah. Isthmus city. Um, he's like sitting in his like office, his like CEO office or whatever. His like drug cartel, his Scarface office, his Al Pacino office kicked back watching his like donation drive. And the iguana is just sitting on his shoulder with his bling. And I'm like, wow, this is just, I mean, this is peak cinema. Pretty epic. Um, because I haven't mentioned it yet, um, the opening credits and song. Um, look, we're coming off of two, uh, you know, all-time great Bond songs. Maybe the two best with Car- Carly Simon and The Spy Who Loved Me and Paul McCartney and Wings and Live and Let Die. Um, this is not a song that I was super familiar with going into the movie. And I don't feel like it's talked a ton about as like a top tier Bond song performed by Gladys Knight, of course, um, no slouch herself, but 
I thought it was good. I thought it was catchy. Um, it had a nice '80s vibe to it, as you would expect. Is this is in the '80s, but the yeah. the synthy feel to it. Um, you know, I I thought it was it was an effective tune. So um, I'll just give it a shout out here because you know didn't talk about it earlier. But yeah, Gladys Knight, License to Kill. I like it. Turns out the Bond music that we listened that I think that you just selected the movies based on Bond music at this point. Yeah, we maybe I watch did. Diamonds Are Forever then, though, right? Like, come on now. True, that is true, yeah. Dude, I can't remember who it is that does the GoldenEye theme song. But we'll find out next week. Um, all right, uh, final order of business. Let's put a score on it. Jay, what would you give License to Kill out of 10 on the Jay Habib scale? <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, solid return to the franchise. Um, I might have to go watch living daylights on my own i might have to go watch timothy dalton in the looney tune special on my own um 7.2 sorry I think I, just, I think I just had like a stroke when jay was saying he was gonna go watch the looney tune special um it's the week space jams coming out you know it, it's fitting yeah i'll bleep that out in the podcast retrospectively um <laughs> no i'm kidding uh license to kill i'm giving it uh i probably the highest grade of all of us i'm surprised that jay actually didn't go higher than that but uh, 7.7. 6.5 for me. I did enjoy the movie. Um, but I think, you know, it, it does have some problems that are more pronounced than in some of the previous entries we watched. But I did like it better than From Rush With Love, um, the first movie we watched. So, um, yeah. All right. That was License to Kill. And that will do it for this episode of the 007 Countdown. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed. Uh, if you have, uh, don't forget to check out the Some Like It Scott podcast feed um, for our main flagship podcast, Some Like It Scott, as well. Weekly movie reviews um, every single week of new releases. Uh, we also have our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods where you can support us. And of course, we would appreciate you liking, rating, reviewing, subscribing, do all the, doing all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And lastly, we hope you'll be back for our next episode of the 007 Countdown, in which we will be moving on to, canonically, the next film in uh, the James Bond uh, franchise with 1995's GoldenEye, which sees Pierce Brosnan in his first effort as James Bond. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. <laughs>